This is Stigma, where we talk with leaders from many industries about how mental health and addiction have impacted their lives. Many people suffer silently from mental illness, addiction, depression, anxiety, and trauma. They never seek help because of stigma. In this podcast, host Stephen Hayes and his guests share their stories of recovery in order to encourage others to do the same. Here's Stephen. Welcome back to the Stigma Podcast. Today's guest is a Naval Academy grad, class of 1983. His name is Bob Moran, and I'm a West Point grad, so there's a little bit of a rivalry between us, but we, as most people would know from the Army-Navy game, but there's a bigger, stronger brotherhood, and Bob and I have a lot in common. Bob is in 12 Steps. He's um, he struggled with some issues in his life that that ultimately led him to homelessness, and Bob has uh, is on the road to be, uh, rebuilding his life from that. He is going to tell us a little bit about that journey, about his time in the Marines, about how he's worked with the VA to get back on his feet, and about a business that he started as an entrepreneur uh, to help to help rebuild his life. And it's a really powerful story. He's a really great guy. And I hope that you will connect with him. I'm linking all of his information in the show notes, especially a link to his business. I uh, would love for everyone to support him. Uh, so without further ado, Bob, thanks for coming on, man. I'd love to have you start with a little bit of your bio background and and, and tell us about your transition from, from the military to civilian life. Yeah, happy to do that. Yeah, so, um, yeah, so I grew up in New Jersey, and that's where I entered the Naval Academy from. And I was a um, applied science major, which um, I graduated in 83. So back in the day, they didn't really call it computer science yet. They were calling it applied science, but it was a technology degree. And then at graduation, I chose to go into the Marine Corps and went down to the, uh, the basic school in Quantico for six months. And coming out there, I went into the infantry. So did the infantry training, then I was on the West Coast. So I was with uh, 2nd Battalion, 1st Marines in Camp Pendleton. And from there, we deployed twice overseas and my last duty station was actually in um, Brunswick, Maine. There was a Navy base up there at the time and they had Marine security guards. Uh, so that's where I was. And uh, the plan was at that time to to go to um, Boston once I got out. Uh, turned out that I met somebody, we got married and moved to New Jersey and I started my life down there. So uh, we have five kids and you know one of the things was that uh, you know there had been a difficulty for me making the transition out of the military into um, a civilian career where I was able to earn and, and to do things at the level that, you know, many of my classmates were able to. So that is one of the things that led me into um, 12 step recovery was looking at, you know, what were the things that were going on in my mind and in my self concept that were hindering me. And after a number of years, I ended up working at a, a big box a hardware store. And one of the things that happened was, is that um, things weren't going well. I wasn't earning enough to pay our bills and our house went into foreclosure. And that was sort of the, the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak. And my now ex-wife had said that she had had enough and she was moving back with her family in Maine. So she did that. And I went into a homeless shelter. Uh, first, I went into a civilian shelter for three years. And then a friend of mine had recommended that I check out the VA. And um, I ended up going to the VA uh, domiciliary in Lyons. And, and then from there, I transitioned up to Boston, where I am now, uh, and I've been involved with the VA up here. So, um, you know, one of the things I did mention is, is when the thing got really bad at the, at the hardware store, I was really in a crisis, and I ended up calling the veteran crisis line. And uh, they were very helpful. They suggested to go to the emergency room, and that was the beginning of the, uh, 
a better days for me. What kind of led to your inability or the lack of earnings post Naval Academy, post military? Because I mean, I, a lot of us, a lot of people are aware, you know, that you went to a great college and you had great military experience. You were highly qualified to get, you know, all kinds of jobs and earn a, a great salary or benefits or whatever else you wanted. What stood in your way really at first and then even down the road years later, like what prevented you from really maximizing the, that, that education? Yeah, so, yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> that's a question I asked myself many years. And part of it was from the, the family that I grew up in, there was a, um, a degree of dysfunction. And part of it was a lot of uh, neglect on the part of my parents. So I ended up having to do a lot of things for myself and transition out. I just did all my planning alone. I didn't really talk to other people. I didn't talk to recruiters. I didn't talk to classmates. Um, there was a sense of isolation and feeling alienated from other people, even though I was with those people at college and with them in the service. I still felt very much uh, apart from, you know, rather than a part of that group. And the other thing was that um, I didn't really plan ahead uh, intentionally. I said, you know what, I'm a military guy. I'm going to serve, you know, proudly to my last day, uh, which I did. And then at that point, then I said, okay, now it's time to look for a job, you know, rather than lining up something in advance. And, you know, so then what became a pattern was I would get myself into a financial hardship and then I would take the first thing that came along uh, and typically would do a very poor job of, of picking jobs that would pay enough. You know, so I aimed low and then um, thinking that I could move up. And many times because I started so low, um, they didn't really consider me for promotion. Got it. Yeah, that's that's kind of interesting. It sounds like that's probably something a lot of vets face is when they get out of the military. Is that right? I think it is. Yeah. And sometimes it takes them a while to, to get their feet under them, I think, once they come out. And then maybe they, because they start earning at a lower rate or because they take a job that might be beneath them, they kind of maybe pigeonhole themselves a little bit. Yeah. I mean, part of the thing was, um, you know, for me was this idea that, you know, I, I quote unquote, didn't have experience, right? So even though I had gone to the academy, had five years as an officer in a leadership position, I didn't have, you know, in strictest sense, you know, civilian experience. So I put myself in the entry level category. How can we help vets avoid that? I mean, what what would have been helpful for you as you were transitioning to help kind of guide you to the right kinds of jobs where you could leverage your experience to not really enter at an entry level? Yeah, I think, and actually there are some of these efforts going on right now. I know that there are several startups that I'm aware of that help vets to translate their military experience into civilian experience, uh, into civilian language, so that when they put a resume together, it reflects you know the high level expertise and experiences that they have uh, and it helps them to avoid you know falling into that idea where they go back to you know their high school temp job or, or job they had when they were um, you know just getting started and that way they can um, at least be considered you know for the position that they really are qualified for and you had mentioned the VA I you know in this day and age in the press all we hear about is how awful the VA is and how it's run poorly and it's a waste of money and scandals and corruption it sounds like the VA was actually really helpful for you. Can you tell me a little bit about the the discrepancy between the brand of the VA and the act the services that you received when you went there? Sure, yeah. A couple of factors came into play. One was the fact that, you know, I didn't really consider myself like qualified to get services at the VA. So it wasn't something that I even considered. In my mind, the the VA was for combat vets or even, you know, combat vets that were wounded and 
were like amputees that were at a, at a VA hospital that way. And um, that because I was in during the Cold War and because I didn't see any, um, you know, combat action, I kind of considered that it wasn't for me, which I found out was not the case, you know, once I got there. But that was a, a preconceived notion that I had. Uh, and then the second thing was, you know, I don't have a lot of friends that have gone to the VA for services. So I did believe, you know, what was in the press also. And because of that reputation, I was not even inclined to look, you know, to see if I was qualified. You know, so I, you know, sort of two strikes against me in the beginning. It was only, you know, looking back at it, thankfully, because of the crisis, um, you know, the financial crisis of, of being, you know, destitute. And then the, uh, the mental health crisis that caused me to consider them. Uh, and I'm so pleased and, and so grateful for the great, great care that I got from them. When you went to the VA, were you already attending 12 Steps or did, did you do it after? Or did they encourage it? How, how does 12 Steps sort of merge with what you were doing through the VA, if it does at all? Yeah, there's, um, in my case, I was in New Jersey, uh, the Lions VA Hospital in New Jersey. And in the domicilia, they actually had uh, an outside meeting of AA that came in every Wednesday. So there was an overlap there. It was certainly encouraged while we were there. Uh, in my case, I don't have an issue with alcohol, so it wasn't directly related, but I did go anyway because it was very beneficial. Uh, I also know that at the at the VA there, they also have an outside meeting that comes in uh, for Narcotics Anonymous, uh, which you didn't have a problem with drugs. I did go to that one time as well. Uh, you know, in my own personal story, I actually went to 12 Step uh, before going to uh, to the VA because you know, to be honest, I've tried you know so many different ways to try to figure out and crack that nut about what was going wrong uh, in my life. You know, the beginning was a lot of self-help books, you know, Dale Carnegie, the magic of thinking big, you know, positive thinking. And then it was, um, you know, going to church and Christianity, reading the Bible and then 12 steps eventually. Um, and then only much later did I open myself up to being willing to go to therapy. Uh, and therapy, uh, has also been a very big important part you know, of my recovery and, and my, um, you know, living that life that I'm really capable of. Where did you find the therapist or the therapy? Is that a VA uh, feature or trait or something you found there? Yeah, actually it was at the, at the civilian shelter, the, um, uh, because, you know, because of the intermittent uh, employment, many times they didn't have, you know, medical insurance that would cover that. And one of the guys at the shelter, uh, the civilian shelter had said, well, why don't you go to the VA? Uh, because as a vet, I'm sure that they would, um, you know, take you. So I started, my first therapist was an outpatient, uh, at the VA. And I did that for a while and then things got a little bit better and then I stopped. And then um, later on during the uh, the crisis, I actually had a therapist at the VA who was excellent. Um, also had a psychiatrist that I would meet with every now and then uh, to talk about medication because one of the things I was diagnosed with was uh, depression and anxiety. So they did put me on some medication and, um, you know, really opened myself up to the, uh, you know, to the therapy side of things. Because part of it, there was a fear that if um, I opened up, and again, this is you know a larger life pattern, but the idea of if I open up and let people know what's going on, that it's going to be worse for me. Uh, there were a couple you know childhood incidents where that actually was the case, um, but I carried that on, and it sort of became like a SOP for me. Did the VA pay for the therapy? Um, actually, yeah, the VA it was um, you know VA therapist. So it was on campus. You know, I would go there, and um, they paid. Oh, so totally free to you as a vet. Totally free to me, and I think that's because of, of the financial situation. I know that people that. You know, retire, have, you know, VA benefits. And, um, you know, I was in for five years from 83 to 88. So I didn't have a, uh, like a retirement benefit. Um, but I think because they also did an income screening that because of that, I didn't have to pay even the copay. So tell me a little bit about, if you don't mind me asking to, to, to the level you're comfortable, what did it look like the years that you were, you were homeless? Were you 
sleeping on the streets? Were you sleep going shelter to shelter? Like what, what did it look like on a daily basis? It was never on the street, not that kind of homelessness. So um, I had been going to a men's you know, Bible study for a number of years. And one of the guys there had started a program for men and he had just opened up a, um, a living situation. So it was shared living uh, in addition to the seminars and group work that they were doing. So I went right from you know the house, which was foreclosed on before I had to move out. I was able to move my stuff over and went there. And then so that was a shared living uh, situation. I was working full time, but I was making about 36,000 a year. So it wasn't enough to live in New Jersey, um, you know, by myself, let alone, you know, with the child support uh, payment that uh, the court ordered. And so I had to choose for a while there whether I was going to pay the, the rent for the shelter because they wanted people to be, you know, self-sustaining uh, or paying the child support. So initially I fell behind on the uh, on the rent. And then later on, I fell, uh, fell behind on the child support. And so how did you, how did you kind of recover from falling behind like that? I mean, what, what transpired next? Yeah. So, um, so one of the things was uh, when I went into the VA homeless program, then there was no more rent obligation. So I wasn't falling behind you know, $550 a month for rent. And also because food was included, there was no, there was no food expense. So it cut my expenses way down. Um, but because it was an inpatient program, I wasn't able to work. So basically what happened was I just continued to fall you know, farther behind, my rearages on the child support went up. And that's something that I'm in the process of, uh, you know, as I'm getting back on my feet financially, getting uh, getting caught up on the rearages. And when you when you mentioned VA homeless program, where it, where is that? Is, are there lots of locations or where was the one that you went to? How does someone connect with that program? Or how does someone connect a loved one to that program if they need it? Yeah, so the um, in general, it's called the domiciliary. You know, it's domiciled in a certain place, so that's the fancy word that they use. So they're at many of the campuses. I'm, I'm not sure if they're at all campuses, but many of the campuses have a domiciliary program. I know that there's several that are up here in, in uh, Massachusetts where I am now. In New Jersey, the one was at the Lions campus where I was. So I think that um, if they went to va.gov, you know, they could look up domiciliary in their state. It would probably come up that way or even Google it. You know, that would be a good way to, to find out. And because many times the, the homelessness is a result of some sort of uh, addiction, not always, but many times. So you know, sometimes it's an alcohol or a drug problem. You know, in my case, it was a, is a, a mental health issue. So um, because it's a full-time, you know, in, inpatient essentially program that they also provide the mental health services in addition to just the housing. So I was able to, you know, get my dental work done. I was get, able to go through um, right, um, like tests and screenings that I had put off just because of being homeless many times. So there's, there's not that medical benefit there. So things just sort of slide. So it was really, um, comprehensive. And the other thing too, just to quick mention, the VA has had a program for several years now called Whole Health. And Whole Health um, is really, to me, it was, a, it was a phenomenal program. So the idea of Whole Health is that the veteran is at the center and he's the quarterback of his own uh, health care, you know, mental and uh, physical and dental and all that. And then they also have many of these different, what are used to be considered, they're becoming more mainstream, but what maybe used to be considered, you know, alternative uh, medicine. So there's uh, yoga, that's available, you know, Tai Chi, um, mindfulness meditation. Uh, there was horticulture or plant therapy that was available, music therapy. And, you know, they've got a diagram for this whole health picture that shows you those things. And then around the outside, uh, you know, sort of the outer rim of the circle is community. And that was really one of the things also that was missing was having a community of support, you know, that I could count on and be open with. And the VA, you know, fulfilled that in spades. 
Yeah, it sounds like having community is probably part of one of the solve the solves one of the big problems is that is that right that's right yeah because for a lot of guys either through you know their behaviors or things uh, they've gotten isolated from their family and their friends and they become loners you know sort of the um the stereotypical veteran on the street you know with a cardboard sign that they feel like they don't have anybody that's in their corner um so they do the best they can you know on their own but many times it's not enough you know in the, in the big book of alcoholics anonymous it says you know self-reliance was good as far as it went but it never went far enough Right. And for me, that was one of the things that was really missing was that kind of uh, support that I could count on, you know, that wouldn't judge me. Very supportive. When you were getting help from the VA, did you ever see or hear of any resources that were remote, like telehealth or teletherapy or or are you seeing anything like that? What's the VA doing there? Yeah, they do have telehealth. Um, I wasn't involved with that, but that is one of the ways that people can get diagnosed with things. So they can check in with their physicians remotely. They can also um, have mental health. You know, that's remote like that, you know, with telehealth. And also there's another thing called My Healthy Vet, which is essentially an online portal, which, uh, you know, once the vet creates their ID, then they can uh, communicate with their physicians that way, you know, with secure messaging. It's also possible to um, reorder medication online without going in and having it mailed to them. So they really have a pretty comprehensive you know, suite of, uh, of ways to get the help that a person needs. What's the Delta or the gap between the way the public kind of views the VA and what the VA is actually offering. Because it, 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 my perception of the stigma around the VA is that it's kind of useless, or I, I, that's kind of what I get from the press because all they do is talk about how broken it is. But it sounds to me like you're getting a ton of help there. Like, why is there such a big delta there? Yeah, I think it's several things. I mean, one is, you know, the VA is certainly it's a federal program, but it's administered on a state by state basis, right? So the VA. And the New Jersey VA healthcare system was the one that I was in in New Jersey. And the Massachusetts system is the one that I'm in here now. So one of the things I think to listen for is, you know, if there's an issue, um, you know, what state did it take place in? Because there could be a, a variety of, uh, you know, levels of competence based on, you know, the state that it's in. Uh, you know, the other thing it could be, uh, it could be the type of service, you know. So maybe there's some kinds of things that the VA isn't very good at. And, um, you know, maybe they're trying to get at, but they're not very good with it you know, it's still something that they're working on. You know, so for example, like military sexual trauma, it's, it's really um, you know, something that's on the forefront. And I know that in New Jersey and, and here in Massachusetts, they really are working on programs to meet the needs of the female veterans, you know, because, you know, typically it's mostly female veterans that have the military sexual trauma. One more question about getting help for veterans. And then I want to hear more about your, the business you've started. You'd mentioned being in these civilian shelters and someone there had, had told you try that, try going to the VA. What were there other veterans there with you at, at that time? And why didn't they go to the VA or did they? There were two other veterans that came through the program of the civilian program. Uh, one had been in the VA and then um, had left and had gone to the civilian program that I was in. Uh, another one uh, hadn't gone to the VA yet. Uh, and sometimes, like I said, because the domiciliary is a uh, is a full time inpatient you know program, a lot of people are reluctant to go into it if they've got a job because um, you know while they're inpatient, then they're not going to be earning at all. You know, so the one person who hadn't gone yet had a job, was supporting his kids, he was divorced also, and he didn't want to give that up. Um, the other person who had been in there was in, but had a problem with alcohol that um, you know caused him to uh, eventually leave the program at the VA. They asked him to leave because he wasn't complying, you know, with the no drinking rule. 
Last question really there is how do we get, it sounds like I think there's a lot of vets out there that aren't taking advantage of these programs. How do we get more vets to take advantage of these resources? Yeah, I think one of the things is, you know, programs like this where people can talk about the fact that they went, they needed help, they went, they got help, you know, because like I said, in my mind, there was a certain stigma that, you know, I shouldn't be, I shouldn't need services like that, right? I mean, you know, college educated officer, um, I shouldn't need that level of help. I don't be able to figure this out on my own, you know, and by my own, I mean, you know, by myself without anybody's help. You know, another thing I think is the role that um, like the VFW and the American Legion can play in that. One of the things that the, uh, at the VA, we would typically go out and visit these different posts around the area and they were very supportive and encouraging. So that really helped to uh, reduce that sort of fear that, um, you know, if people know that I'm a vet and I'm in this program, that they're going to somehow look down on me or, you know, not want to help me. You know, it turns out it was just the opposite. They didn't care, you know, when a person served, where they served. It was a, like, you're a vet, we're vets, you know, and we want to really um, you know, help you in any way that we can. And and a lot of the local posts in New Jersey were just, you know, really great in terms of doing things that were meaningful for us, you know, and helping us to realize that, hey, this is something that many people go through and, you know, there's no stigma. Got it. Well, thanks for sharing all that. You mentioned at one point that you're getting back on your feet and I know that you've started a business and I'd love to hear about that business? You know, how, how, what's the idea? How'd you come up with it? How long have you been doing it? I'd love to just kind of get a sense of what it is you're working on. Yeah. The, uh, well, yeah, sure. Thanks. So the name of the business is called Mirror Image Clothing. And the idea is that the messages that are on the front of the t-shirt are printed in reverse so that they're mirror readable um, by the person that's wearing it. And it really grew out of my experience. Like I said, I've tried so many different ways to try to get better. And one of the things I realized is that many times it came down to the thinking Right. And the thinking affected how I felt, you know, emotionally, it felt uh, how I felt uh, in terms of self-esteem and confidence and things like that. And like I said, I'd gone through the, the prayer and the, and the church route. So I do have a, a morning uh, routine where, I, you know, prayer and meditation and journaling is certainly part of it. And it was in one of those sessions that this idea of putting the, the message on the shirt in reverse came to me. So that first one that I made, I literally just took a white T-shirt and. Um, a black magic marker and wrote the message backwards, you know, looked at it in the mirror. And there was really something powerful about literally seeing myself differently, right? So a literal change self-perception. I saw myself like I'd always seen myself with the message because in the mirror, it was you know, printed the right way. It was very powerful. And I, you know, had a, a background and an interest in entrepreneurship for a while. Uh, and it seemed to me that there was a way to use um, you know, lean startup principles to start out very inexpensively. Uh, and I did that. And, and then I eventually had a couple, you know, shirts professionally printed. What do some of these shirts say? Um, yeah, so there's, there's sort of several different um, areas or, or markets that I'm trying to reach. So, like, for example, in mental health, I'm actually wearing a shirt right now. Uh, it says, I am more than my diagnosis. Because one of the things that I learned at the domiciliary is a lot of times people are diagnosed with something, and that sort of defines them. You know, oh, you know, I have bipolar, uh, and, and sometimes the unspoken but very tangible thing is, I have the bipolar and therefore I cannot live a full life or I have, you know, PTSD and therefore I am somehow going to be limited for the rest of my life. So I have a shirt that says um, it's not PTSD, uh, it's PTS because the idea now in the medical community is starting to come around to the idea that, you know, it's not so much a disorder, but it's actually a very normal response, you know, to some very extreme conditions. You know, I've got other ones that are chronic illness related. So one that says, you know, stronger than cancer, right? And that's printed backwards on the front. So again, when the person looks in the mirror, because a lot of times there's a very important mental element. If the person's full or has positive expectancy, 
that that affects their actual you know medical outcome. Uh, and in that case, they've also made another shirt that's printed the right way on the front. And the idea there is, is to tap into the healing power of the community so that friends of the person that's diagnosed or family members can wear that. So that literally wherever that person looks, they're going to see that message when they look in the mirror or at their friends, you know, that they're, that they're stronger than cancer. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Oh, that's really great. How, how do people find you? I mean, where are you selling these? Yeah. So right now um, they can find me on Etsy. If they go to my domain name, which is mirrorimageclothing.com, uh, it redirects out to the Etsy storefront and they're on there and they can, you know, buy them onesie twosie. Uh, the other thing is if people contact me, another important part of the strategy for the business is reach out to institutions. So I've got one order in with the veteran, uh, with the VA already up here and I'm you know, licensed to sell to the, uh, to the federal government. So selling to federal and state governments is another part of it. But also I'd like to, um, to sell to like, say, for example, like with the chronic illness ones to a hospital. So maybe an oncology department would buy a bunch of them. And the way I think of it in my mind, that the shirt is, can, can be seen as almost like a, like a medical device, right? So if somebody has a strained wrist, then they say, oh, here, here's a, uh, you know, a wrist brace, wear this until your wrist is back. That this can in a sense be like a, a mental brace to help, help the person stay strong you know, while they're going through something. And then another big area of, of the shirts has to do with entrepreneurship, right? Because I realize it's not just about bringing somebody who's down up to, you know, normal, but it's also for people that are at a normal functioning level that want to become like a super achiever, right? Many times entrepreneurs are very much in a, like a solo situation where they're them or their co-founder, the this, this small team is trying to do something really big and important. And, you know, the imposter syndrome can be very prevalent with it. Uh, entrepreneurs. They feel like they're not really as good as they're saying that they are. And so I've got a shirt that talks about fundraising, right? It says, I can raise capital. I will raise capital. Uh, I don't like rejection, but I'm not going to let that stop me. Because many times being on the road, taking that road show, they're really up against, you know, um, apathy or an indifference from the investors that they're calling on. And the idea of the shirt is, is to acknowledge that, hey, this is a difficult thing and I'm not going to let it stop me. So if you're a veteran out there, you're listening to this and you're wondering to yourself, uh, how did this guy afford to start a business? Can you tell a little bit about how you set this up and what it cost and you know how the operations run leanly like you talked about? Yeah. Um, thanks. Yeah. So part of it was, again, I needed to do it on a shoestring and with these different um, online sites like Etsy. And then there's uh, several different places that are on-demand printers where what I do is I, I make this the, uh, the design online and then I upload it to the printer. And then at that point, it gets loaded over to Etsy. And at that point, no shirts exist. It's just basically the image of the shirt with the image of the message on it. And then if somebody buys it, then, you know, Etsy takes the credit card information uh, on the back end, it sends it to the printer, they print it and they ship it out to the person. So there's no inventory on my part because, you know, having so many designs, I got like 50 designs now, you know, there's no way that I'd be able to afford, you know, having a bunch of shirts made in, in a warehouse somewhere. Uh, and also, again, in terms of like lean, I'm making you know an MVP, a minimally viable product. Um, I'm making a bunch of designs and see which ones you know the market says yeah they really want, and then I can double down on those. But it's a way to essentially test the ideas for free. So it sounds to me like the business is really about coming up with good designs and then marketing the the shirts and getting them in front of the right eyeballs. Is that about what it comes down to? Yep. Yeah. So yeah, if, if you think of it that way, I mean, I really want to be like the the design marketing part of it and essentially outsource you know, all of the logistical part of it, you know, to these other, uh, other vendors. And how's it going? I mean, is it sustaining you or do you see that business getting to a point where it, it allows you to earn enough to, to dig out of, you know, the, the back payments and such? Is it, is it headed in that direction? It's not yet. 
Right. So part of it is, um, like I mentioned, selling to the institutions is going to be key because that way I can do larger orders. Uh, and essentially, it's like using right, OPM, other people's money. So like with a contractor, if somebody's getting work done on their house, you know, they may have, you know, a two thousand dollar job that the carpenter is going to do. And they put like a uh, half of it down. He uses that to buy the materials, does the work and then gets paid the second half on delivery. Uh, and that's what I did with the VA. I'm going to be doing that with more of these big companies, you know, so they're larger orders. And there's the capital, but essentially the working capital, you know, to pay for the shirts and the printing and then get the second half on delivery. Well, that's great. I'm going to share the link to the site and all of your stuff in the show notes and on the website. So everyone will have access to that. Yeah. And can I give you the work phone number too, in case anyone call or text? Yeah, share it. Okay. So that's 857-277-5180 and that they can call or text. Okay, great. And I'll put that in the show notes too. So if anybody missed that while you're listening, you just scroll down to the show notes and the number will be there. If you're on your phone, you can just click on it and text or call them. But yeah, that's that's really incredible. I think it's encouraging that there are that you're finding your way as an entrepreneur uh, and that you're, you know, the VA has been supportive of you and it's it's really uplifting to me to know that there are there are resources and it sounds to me like not only are there resources for, for veterans, but there's a there's a clear path to getting off the street, getting getting out of a, a homeless shelter and getting to a, to a place where you can be an entrepreneur, you can be supported in your mental health at the VA and you can find your way in life. Is that fair to say that that's possible for really any veteran? Yep, that, that's very true. You know, I'm in here in Boston. So when I'm on the street, you know, walking around, you know, and I will see homeless people and sometimes they'll say that they're a homeless vet either on a sign or you know, when they engage. The resources are definitely there. But again, one of those vexing things about mental health is um, they may not be ready for it. You know, seeing somebody there doesn't mean that the VA is doing a bad job, doesn't mean that nobody cares about the vets. Uh, it could be that for whatever reason, either, you know, in like 12 step terms, they haven't hit bottom yet, or they've decided that this is all they're ever going to have. So they're not going to ask for help. You know, I go to a 12 step group, you know, for family dysfunction. And one of the things we say is that the program is for those that want it, not those that need it. Yeah. Because many times family and friends... That's what we say in AA too. Yeah, families and friends can see the need, but it's before that person wants it. And it can, um, you know, it, it can take a while, you know, for the person to get to that point. Yeah, we say if you want what we have and you're willing to go to any link to get it, then you'll take certain steps and it's some of these we balked. So yeah, it's interesting. People have to want to get well. And, mm -hmm. and I think it's not really my job something I've learned in recovery. It's not my job to convince people to get well. It's my job to be available when they do uh, so that they know that, that they can call me and I'll point them in the right direction. Yeah. We, we say, you know, attraction, not promotion. Right. Right. So, you know, as the, the more I get my life on track and focused on myself and I get better, people are going to want what I have. Then it opens the conversation. And plus it lets them see that it is possible. You know, that's why, you know, telling my story, I'm really thrilled that you, that you asked me to share the story because that's one of the things that a, is very personally satisfying and B, how it takes some, something that was very difficult and, and hard for me and makes it available to others. You know, and that's an idea of like giving back. I just wanted to have an academy, a fellow academy grad come on and share a story like yours. I mean, my story is similar. I went to West Point and I had everything in the world handed to me on a, on a platter in terms of opportunity. And I threw it all away with addiction and and problems that I caused for myself in my life. And, you know, it's just because we went to a really great college and we were surrounded by highly successful people. It doesn't mean that we're going to not struggle. And I, I want it to be okay for guys like us, women that are in our group, that are in our peer group as well, to know that, hey, just because society expected me to really crush it and I didn't, it's okay for me to say, you know, I need a little help. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I think that, yeah, the, the better the person does or where they've come from, sometimes it's 
harder to make, you know, to normalize it where people are able to talk about it. Yeah, I've had that feeling you talked about where, you know, you, you, you mentioned that you didn't want to go to the VA because you thought going to the VA was for, mm-hmm. for a different type of veteran, you know, mm-hmm. a different type of person. Like you didn't need that kind of help. And that's how I felt for years and years about my addictions and about the problems that I was having is, well, you know, I'm a smart guy. I make a lot of money. I don't need to, I don't need to go ask for help like that. And then I found myself, you know, pretty, pretty near death in a bad situation. And luckily somebody got me to rehab and saved my life. And you know, that's, it's, uh, we all need help. doesn't matter where we came from. That's right. Yeah. And somebody said many years ago that it's, it's up to the leader to go first, right? So if we're able to go first and share our story, you know, how many times, I can't tell you how many times somebody's come to me afterwards and said, Hey, you know what? I've had a similar thought or had a similar thing in my life. Um, but until that person went first and sort of, you know, like your, you know, the name of the podcast, you know, address that stigma head on and says, listen, I'm not going to let this stigma stop me. Uh, and hopefully to remove or lessen the stigma, you know, society wise. You know, so many people suffer in silence. Well, look, I really appreciate you coming on. I think this is going to help some vets. I hope that I mean, I'll share this with everybody I know that's a vet, and I hope others do too. Uh, share, share it with families of veterans who might be struggling. I think there's there's a lot here that can guide somebody or the loved one of somebody who needs help uh, from our community to to resources. So I hope this gets widely shared, and, and I really appreciate you doing this. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure, Stephen. Thanks for asking. So thanks again, Bob, for coming on. It's really a pleasure to have you and uh, to have my brother in arms, uh, fellow Academy grad, come on and share and, and sort of open up about problems and struggles that you don't, you don't think about an Academy grad having. You, you know, you, oftentimes you think about you know, veterans not really having a, a lot of problems, or if you do, it's, it's ones that are on the street that you know, maybe you think, oh, they probably did something to end up there or whatever. But I mean, there's real struggles out there for people who have all the momentum in the world and all the benefits in the world. And uh, it's good to hear Bob share how he was able to get help and and where he is in his journey of of rebuilding his life. And I hope that it's motivational. I hope it's inspiring. I hope it helps not just veterans, but families of veterans who struggle and need help. And I think it will. So thanks again to Bob for being here and to our listeners for being here. Thank you. If you want to interact with us, you can reach us on Twitter at StigmaCast. You can find us on our website at StigmaPodcast.com. Until next time, thank you for being here.